0: What do you do if you want to make a 10x contribution, uh, but you can't work 10x harder?
1: Greetings everyone, and welcome to Unleashed, the fastest hour on the internet, where every episode we're joined by an interesting thought leader, all in the name of helping you unleash your leadership potential with their insights, tools, and habits. I'm your host, Jeff Tetz, CEO of Results, where we believe there's a hard path and an easier path to building your business. We partner with your leadership team to show you how to dramatically improve your results by perfecting the art of execution to get more of what you want from your business. In today's episode, we're joined by New York Times bestselling author, Greg McKeown. He'll be sharing his insights for how to get better outcomes without having to work harder, how to 10X the investment of your time, and even some interesting stories like how Warren Buffett makes multi-billion dollar decisions easy. I want to thank our seasoned sponsor PowerEd. PowerEd is an award-winning division of Athabasca University and they partner with organizations looking for impactful online learning solutions. Their online offerings include leadership, digital transformation, project management, artificial intelligence and ethics, digital wellness, and embracing allyship and inclusion. Their core belief is that learning should be fun, engaging, and easily accessible. Their online platform means your employees can literally learn from wherever they are located. PowerEd meets them in their space and at a time that works best for them. Check out PowerEd at powered.ca. And don't forget to help grow our community by sharing the episode links with friends and colleagues in your life who enjoy learning as much as you do. Now on with today's conversation. I'm so excited to be joined by Greg McKeown. Greg has dedicated his career to discovering why some people and teams break through to the next level and others don't. He's the two-time best-selling author of Essentialism, The Disciplined Pursuit of Less, and Effortless Make It Easier to Do What Matters Most. McKeown is the CEO of McKeown Inc., where his clients include Adobe, Apple, Google, Facebook, Pixar, Salesforce, Twitter, and Yahoo. His writing has appeared or been covered by the New York Times, Fast Company, Fortune, HuffPost, and Inc. Magazine. He is among the most popular bloggers for the Harvard Business Review and LinkedIn's influencers group, averaging a million views a month, and a regular on numerous television and radio shows, including NBC, Fox, and The Steve Harvey Show. He's spoken to hundreds of audiences around the world, and you can actually see him live in Alberta in April 2022 at the Bex Summit. Originally from London, England, McEwen now lives in Calabasas, California with his wife Anna and their four children. He did his graduate work at Stanford University. Greg McEwen, welcome to Unleashed.
0: It's so great to be with you. Thank you for having me.
1: So I've, uh, I've been looking forward to this conversation for a long time now, Greg, and I, you know I read your first book. It's almost three years ago. I was looking back last night, and if you would have told me at that time that I would be having a, a live conversation uh, with you, uh, I would have thought uh, you were kind of out to lunch. So uh, really, really excited to be spending time with you and very gracious of you to uh, uh, accept our, uh, our, our invitation.
0: It's my pleasure to be with you. Thank you.
1: So, I, I, you know, I thought maybe a good place for us to start, Greg, would, would just be kind of going back to the beginning of this. And, uh, you know, I think most of the people that we've had on the show talk about the origins of what made them curious about their particular topic in the first place. And I'm I'm curious to know what made you so interested and fascinated in in, in this topic that made you dedicate so much time and put so much energy into the research and and writing the book that that you did?
0: Well, particularly with Effortless itself, I, I have spent most of my adult life working with successful people who are running out of space. So their problem isn't that they're not doing anything. Uh, It's that they have so much going on. It's not that they're disengaged, it's that they're engaged, but they're on the edge of exhaustion. And and so in the midst of working with these kinds of people, you know, in Silicon Valley companies, Apple and Google and Twitter and so on, I I also then um, had an experience personally where this was after I'd written Essentialism I'm traveling all over partially because of that I'm being more selective than I've ever been. I'm being thoughtful in building my business. Um, I'm saying no to lots of things, I'm saying no to a class that I taught at Stanford. I'm, I'm saying no to writing another book for a while. And, and, and being despite being highly selective, I still felt like I was falling into the same category. Uh, and, and then already feeling that we then had a family emergency where uh, one of my uh, daughters fell very seriously ill. And and so I said, well, well, what do you do? What do you do if you have too many essential things, too many really important things to pursue? Uh, and And I know I'm not alone in that. I mean, here, even thinking about this audience, I mean, what do you do? I would think that everybody watching this, given that they are you know, hardworking, intelligent, talented, let's say the hit squad. Uh, what do you do if you want to make a 10x contribution, uh, but you can't work 10x harder? Uh, and, and that, I mean, really, if you're, if you're trying to run a business of any, you know, of any size, of complete, a beginner startup or small to medium or even a large business, you have the same challenge. You always want to accomplish more, but there's not more of you. What do you do then? And, and so that, that challenge, you know, it might sound like well that's a nice first world problem to have, but actually it's just it doesn't make it less of a problem. Uh, you want to make a higher contribution, uh, but you but you if you if you just try to do more, if you just try to you know sort of sacrifice more, punish yourself more. What really happens is that you start to burn out, uh, you know, physically, uh, emotionally mentally, spiritually, then your, your culture on your team burns out, and maybe you even plateau in your business or fail altogether. And that's really where I found myself. I remember talking to my wife and saying, you know, finally, I'm just I'm not well. You know, I didn't want to have to admit that, but that's how, how it was. And so it set me off on a journey to be, to be able to understand what, not just what causes burnout, although that's important, but what can you do about it? And I found, and it was enormously important for me and my family. I mean, it was like, let's say close to life and death type uh, importance that we found that there were two paths, two ways to get results. There was the path we were most familiar with and most entrepreneurs and most successful people know about that. That's the grind. That's the push harder. And then we found that there is another path, a path where you simply pursue an easier strategy, a smoother way, a way that requires, um, you know, you're not forcing so much. And as the book came out just a a couple of months ago, maybe three months ago now, became a New York Times bestseller, it's it's doing better than essentialism did at the same time, which I only share, it's not a self-aggrandizing moment, I'm just trying to illustrate that it seems to have the power of relevancy right now. Somebody even already in the chat said, you know, so many leaders feeling burnout right now. I mean, that's, that's, that's exactly right. And so it seems to be that many, many people are in that same category, in that same challenge. Uh, and so that's what I want to talk about today is, is what we can do about that, how we can get great results, even breakthrough results, but without burning out.
1: Uh, well said, Greg. And I think I, I've long held this belief that the building a business was was like pushing a boulder up a hill and that it never stops feeling that way until you retire or kind of sell your business. I've always thought that the difference is you want to build a business where there's more people helping to pull that boulder or push that boulder uphill. Now, your work has made me completely rethink that that viewpoint, but it makes me curiously, why, where does that belief come from? Like, what are some of the misconceptions that we get about success? And I think you've mentioned a couple of them already. But what are some other misconceptions people get wrong about success? And where does this conditioning really come from?
0: Um, I think that part of the root of this mindset, this idea that, that not only, well, let's say the Puritan roots. So we, we're, majority of people I assume today are is sort of, um, at least in Tuning in from industrialized countries, probably from Western countries. And and at the very genesis of these countries, there was a Puritan ethic. And there was some goodness to that Puritan ethic that that basically says: look, hard work is a value. And by the way, I I completely believe that it is. That I, you know, I, I, I subscribe to this. I want my children to work hard. I want, I want my employees to work hard. I mean, it's not like, I'm anti that. But puritanism has a sort of a dark side to it where you also distrust the easy. uh, So that if something's easy, that can't be good and it can't be a, a solution. And if you create a mentality around that, if you buy into a paradigm that looks something like that, what you do without meaning to is you cut off an enormous number of tactics and strategies and tools that can be very, very useful and relevant and necessary because you say, well, it can't be the solution. The solution can't be simple. It can't be easy. The only solutions are going to be harder work, more engineering, more pushing, more forcing. Uh, and, and in fact, it's so total. I was just talking to um, an NFL manager And I asked him, like, think about all the speeches you've given to your teams where you've wanted them to get better results. And tell me how often you have asked for better results through them working harder, right? That that's like explicitly asked for versus we need to get better results. Therefore, we ought to find more effortless strategies to achieve it. And he laughed. He's like, it's 100 to zero. I, I've, I always assume the first and that's the risk if you always assume that that's the only way to get better results, then you can predict what will happen in a global pandemic. What will happen is that your highest performers will try to pivot by exerting more effort more energy and that's what many, many of them have done, even successfully, so you get results, but the cost. And we see it now literally the world over is that people start, they're teetering right on the edge of exhaustion. They're either burned out or they're about to be. Uh, and, and these, we're not talking about just, just anyone. We're talking about the, the top players, the top people, the top talent. Uh, and so and so it, it's, it, it is of high necessity that we figure out how to break through this paradigm. Let's call it the Puritan paradigm which is, you know, got reintroduced in, you know, the the 80s motivational speaker that's going to say, no pain, no gain, you know, give everything, sacrifice everything. That's the only way to get to success. Well, there's some truth to that. But what about the other smarter alternative road and path to results? That's what I've really become a student of. It's it's saved me. It's helped me to get to the next level uh, in my business, but also in the other things that matter most to me. Uh, And so I'm excited to get into it.
1: And you bring up an interesting point, Greg. And I and I think throughout history, when I when I read leadership books about some of the most respected presidents, as an example, most of that literature talks about how hard they worked from 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 morning until night, and it was reading, and it was conversations, and how hard they worked their teams. And and I wonder if we've gotten to a point where we've celebrated that so much that. It's not It's not that everybody that's having a lot of success today is is working to the point of burnout, but I also wonder if we've made it difficult for people to actually admit that they're successful without working themselves close to the burnout level. It's, it's kind of yeah, like a dirty yeah. little secret that yeah. we're not allowed to talk about the CEO yeah. that has a nap at 2.30 in the afternoon, as an example.
0: Yeah, I mean, I remember going to, um, oh, I can't remember his name now, but, uh, you know, quintessential uh, entrepreneur edison yeah i went i remember going to edison's house but he's obviously long gone but but his house in florida and and he's you know famously people talk about him as someone who you know relentless grinding effort to achieve his results but among other things i learned in the home is like the actual lab where they did all the work for the for for the light bulb. I mean, there was there was a bed in there. He used to take naps in there all the time. Whenever he was, you know, whenever he felt like he was getting to that point of um, of diminishing returns, uh, and long before he got to that even worse state of of negative returns. And negative returns is is a position where for every ounce of effort you put in, you're making the overall results worse than if you just hadn't worked at all today. So it's a very damaging place to be. You know, you you try to, you're putting in more effort into your, if I'm writing a book, if I put two hours in to writing each day, I'm making optimal performance. It it really concentrated work for two or three hours is the most you can do. You get to diminishing returns at four or five hours. Now, every hour I'm getting a little extra, but not much. If I go seven or eight, I'm making the whole manuscript worse. You got to know to stop while it's optimal. Well, Edison. In addition to that, he um, like he didn't believe in like physical duress on his body. He he wasn't into you know these extreme physical challenges whatsoever. He he felt like he needed to keep his body very calm, uh, very uh, you know uh, not not strained at all, so that he could keep his brain in optimal performance. That's just one illustration right now of where a story is told, a narrative exists that supports an existing paradigm, but actually once you double click on it, you find the data doesn't support the story or the narrative. So it's it's a bit like bloodletting, you know, like for, for the longest time, the medical profession, uh, they're believing in bloodletting. They're saying, if you just, if you, the problem is the blood, get the blood out, and uh, they would, you know, literally put leeches on your body. I mean, it's such, it feels so medieval to even think of it, but it lasted well, you know, into the industrial revolution. And, and, uh, and so you're, you know, that this is weakening the body. In almost all circumstances, this was doing damage to patients. And yet the paradigm dominated after its usefulness had long been, you know, surpassed. Similarly, we have this idea of, of just the exhaustion the the exhaustion paradigm, uh, you know, that that burnout is a badge of honor. It's almost like if someone's not burned out, they they must not have a very important job. They must not be very successful. You know, it's like completely got consumed. And certainly many otherwise driven entrepreneurs have the idea that, that lazy, like easy equals lazy. And it doesn't. I mean, literally, if you look at it up the dictionary, it doesn't. So they, those, aren't, those aren't equal. I mean, l- lazy is not willing to put in effort. Easy is that something doesn't require a lot of effort. For heaven's sake, I mean, as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as, as employees, as, you know, we want, we should want, we should pursue paths that are easier to achieve the results that we want. That's better for everybody involved. And the people that actually achieve breakthrough performance at a sustainable way, are masters at this. And I came across an enormous amount of data to support this. Uh, in fact, so much so, it just makes the other seem like a, a, a fool's bargain. Uh, it's like a bill of goods. Uh, we've been sold a bill of goods, it's bloodletting and it causes this damage. And so we can, we, we, there's a, really the great news is that that's a, that's a lie. And there's a data-driven science-supported, uh, alternative paradigm where we can, we can achieve great results, but with less, less cost. And, and, and I think everybody needs this right now.
1: Greg, I'm not naive to think that, uh, that everything is not uh, uh, you know, going to be difficult, that there are some things that, are, that, are, that we're going to have to put a lot of effort into. If I want to build bigger muscles, I've got to work them to exhaustion and then do one more rep, that, that kind of thing. In your book, you talk about this topic. So, a good easy and a bad easy. How do we tell the difference?
0: Well, actually, I'm going to I'm going to push you even on this. Now, this is a bit controversial to say. Actually, it's not controversial. It feels controversial because you're challenging bloodletting. But, but one of the top the top performers. I mean, I I, I was just working with a um, is a, is, a, is an MD. Uh, he he he's a Canadian. Uh, And he works with elite athletes and we were talking all about this and he says this idea of like push the reps to the limit and do one more he's like he's like I don't at all support support this anymore. He said what we want is not for people to run hard or push hard, we want them to run fast and that's different we want them to be able to perform superbly not perform to the point of, of burnout. Uh, and and in, in addition to that, there's a there's a one of the uh, the ultimate re, uh, fighting uh, cha- champions, uh, one of the people that coach these elite, I mean, fighting machines. He said he said I do not subscribe to this no pain no gain uh, uh, philosophy whatsoever. He said what I want. He was talking about this on Joe Rogan. People can go and listen to it. Um, he said. He said, if I'm working with him, Joe said, well, this is okay what you're saying, like this, this alternative, you know, don't, he, I'm not quite getting to the point. He, the coach said, I believe that somebody training, even at elite levels, should never be sore. All right, think about that. Think about how that shakes up everything you've ever learned, everything you've ever heard. It, and, and Joe even says, he's like, well, you mean for like elite people who are already actively working out all the time, you know, not just for people who you know, are beginners. He said, yes, for beginners. He said, if I had somebody, a beginner and I say, okay, do, do pushups and they can do, you know, let's say they can do 10 is the max they can do. He said, I don't want them to do 10. I want them to do five because then tomorrow they can do five again and tomorrow they can do five again and tomorrow they can do five again. He said, I'll get them to do 20 reps where if I push someone to the max day one, they're done, days will go by, they won't do any because they're sore, that, that, that comes at a cost. And so they won't be sustained performance. He says, if you start at five and you keep them going consistently and then slowly increase it, then over weeks, over months, they are far fitter, far stronger, far healthier than if you max out. So so even in elite you know, whether you're a beginner or elite, the, the, the actually the best insight contradicts what we assume is true. So I know that that isn't quite the point you were making, but I, I wanted to push on it. I know that for some people, they just oh my goodness, I can't believe that. I can't accept that. That's not what I've ever been taught. But sometimes we're taught things that, in fact, limit our performance, even though they're u- almost universally believed ideas. Uh, and when you look at why, how people sustain incredible performance, it's not in the, these sort of, um, let's call it boom and bust uh, type mantras. You know, when you say no pain, no gain, you're actually saying boom and bust, go big, then bust, big, then bust. But what if you didn't do boom and bust? What if you did sustainable performance? What if you wanted to have, what if you wanted to, to get better for 20 years? Thirty years. What if you wanted to be like Warren Buffett, a successful investor in modern history? How did he do it? Is he doing it through boom and bust approaches? Is he pulling all nighters? Never. Is he is he um, is he killing himself to invest in everything? Never. He said, "Listen to this." No, no one wants to believe it because they've been taught so deeply in an existing paradigm. It's too hard to. What if I'm wrong about that? How think of all the trade-offs I've made that may have not been ideal. Warren Buffett said their, their investment strategy borders on lethargy. The most successful investor in history, his strategy borders on lethargy. Like of all the words you would use, surely you wouldn't use that. In the financial sector, think of the paradigm, think of the culture. 100-hour 100 weeks, 120 back-to-back meetings. Why? Because that's the only way you can inch ahead. Well, the best, the best in class, his strategy borders on lethargy. Uh, he, he, said, um, he says, I'm not looking for seven-foot fences, investment fences I can leap over. I'm looking for one-foot fences, you know, way down that I can step over. That's what he's looking for. And so then when he invests in them, he invests big and he invests for the long run. And and because he's invested in the right companies with the best managers in the world, he doesn't even mess with them. He says, why would I tell people what to do who are the best in the world at what they do? So he doesn't even get involved in like correcting anything or telling them what to do or anything. He just like, he, he has the people he can trust the most and he trusts them completely. And so this, too, is a mechanism for for, for, for effortlessness results. Oh, i got I to carry on while I'm riffing on Warren Buffett, if you don't mind. I'm sorry. Yeah, but go ahead, Greg. I, th- thank you for that. That's nice of you to say that. I, uh, that so, so Warren Buffett decides after going through a process that one of these one-foot fences, a definite purchase for him is to buy McLean Industries from Walmart. We're not talking about it a small purchase. It's a $21 billion purchase, right? Like that's, that's, that's massive, right? It's a huge, huge investment. Just think of the process you might go through in purchasing that company. You, you know, you, maybe you hire a whole team of lawyers you know, to do just the due diligence alone is millions and millions of dollars. Um, over six months, you're gonna check every contract every lien, uh, you know, every financial statement, you got to check all the inventory. I mean, it's just gargantuan work just to get to the point where you say, okay, what you said is true is true. that's, That's the exhausting way. That's what makes it so amazing what Buffett actually said. And he put this in his public report. So this isn't just like general word of mouth. This is like the official report. He said, what we did was we had a two hour conversation and a handshake. Because we knew that, that Walmart would have everything as they said it was, and it was. Now, that doesn't mean you just shouldn't do your due diligence. It doesn't mean you, shouldn't, you should just trust everybody, no. His I, whole idea is that you, you make sure you're working with the highest trust people in the world and if you do that then trust them completely everything is easy in comparison it's it is in comparison effortless what just happened and and uh, and that's uh, and that is exactly what, uh, what what happened with that situation you know you, that's what effortlessness looks, looks like that's a would- that real example you know tremendous advantage. Go ahead, please.
1: Yeah, no, Greg, it's a great example. And it, you're right. I mean, I'm I'm just going through the laundry list of things that I probably make way too complicated in my life every single week. But it occurs to me in the Buffett example, although the process of, of finalizing that transaction and that deal was, was fairly quick um, in comparison to what you would think it would be. It also makes me think about the, the hours and hours of thought that went into them creating what their non-negotiables are and simplifying like that recipe or that criteria for what a partner and an acquisition would look like. So then when they find it, they can move pretty quickly, but, but it's, it's that it's that building of the philosophy, I suppose, of what you want you want to call it their core covenant, whatever it is. That's the piece that probably took quite a bit of effort and quite a bit of time and thought,
0: Yes, I, I, I really agree that there's something um, there's, there's something inherent in what we're talking about, which is to create systems that work for you. You may, you may invest more effort up front than going with the existing systems. You know, if you just go with the dominant bloodletting, you know, no pain, no gain, exhausting paradigm, right? You don't have to exert any effort to go with the existing paradigm. You just go with it. Now, your your costs are very, very high all the way along afterwards. So it's not like you've made a bargain, but up front, you're not investing anything. The alternative to even, I mean, it takes not that much effort, but a little effort to read Effortless or to to listen to the podcast, uh, to listen to the uh, to To the audiobook like these things are relatively low investment, but the key is that you want a high ROe we know return on investment but we want high return on effort the, you want to look for things that have high high leverage to them. Um, let me use a, another example this is um, this is in the section in the book under effortless results and uh, which i think is, is 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 relevant for our for our conversation this is a uh, jessica Jakley, who um friend of mine and her then husband and a few friends went to africa trying to make a contribution trying to help well maybe help entrepreneurs they were being social entrepreneurs they wanted to help entrepreneurs grow their businesses I come across one entrepreneur who is at the subsistence level she is getting linear results right Which is kind of this first paradigm we've been talking about, where she only gets, it's like one one unit of effort equals one unit of results. For her, what that looked like is she is selling produce on the street and she's getting paid for it. If there's ever a day she doesn't sell the produce, she doesn't get the money and she can't feed her family. So it's like, you know, it's like the, in a sense, it's the worst case scenario because it means that she can't ever get ahead. She can't ever take a day off. Of course, it's a recipe for burnout, but it's also a recipe for just being stuck. So Jessica thinks, well, how can we help? And it turns out that if you have, if she had like $500, so micro loan, she'd be able to take off enough time to go and negotiate with the fisheries that that originate her produce. And by doing that can increase some profitability, remove the middleman and, and, and get ahead. So Jessica's thinking, well, okay, five hundred dollars could help her. But then they think, well, inspired by Muhammad Yunus, they said, well, what if we did it as a loan? That would, at least, that would create residual result because same five hundred dollars can be invested and reinvested and reinvested. So that might be, let's call that a ten x result. You know, the same investment, but you know, ten times better result from it. And then they go, well, that's one leverage. But what if we created multiple points of leverage. They said, what if we created a website where other like-minded people, we know we're not alone, who also could give microloans, $50, 100, 500,000, relatively small amounts. And those could be repeatedly loaned out to other entrepreneurs like this. And this is how Kiva.org was created. So you've got that original $500, could have been a gift, could have been a one-time loan, could have been a repeated loan. It's, it, they've leveraged it up to $1.3 billion in loans with a 97% return, like a 97% repayment of those loans. So what is that in an X factor? You know, is that, that's more than 10 X, more than hundred X. Actually it's way more than a thousand X. It's more like 2000 X. Now, when you say to people, there really are more effortless strategies, there really are ways to get return on your effort that are significantly higher than what you've experienced in the past. It just all sounds a bit too good to be true and I get that. That's why I start with sort of 10x when I say 10x. Uh, but what, what is Jessica's example if it's not a 1000x example. So, by dislod- dislodging this idea that the only way to get better results is to put in more effort to saying what if the way I put an effort is different? If I can leverage it differently, suddenly you have the opportunity to get many, many times better performance um, without over time doing actually doing more. You're
1: doing it differently, but not more overall. Greg, this is a good place, I think, just to sort of segue into uh, help us. Uh, anybody listening right now? I think is hearing that story and saying what I wouldn't give for a 10X return right now, much less a hundred or a thousand. And you've put a lot of time into this to, to actually give people some specific tools that they can start to apply. Maybe share some of those tools and a bit about your framework.
0: Yeah, so the framework um, is, is really three parts to it. They're concentric circles, so they build on each other. It's effortless state in the center, effortless action, and then effortless results. And while those terms, I think, are quite simple, it's really, you've got to get your head into the alternative. You've got to say, well, what's the normal state I'm in? Am I in in an effortless state most of the time? I mean, the answer is no, right? We're in something closer to the state of suffering, (laughs) or the state of stress, or high stress, or the state of burnout, or the state of exhaustion. And so to get to effortless state, is is there are changes that we can make quite small changes sometimes um you know why are we in a state of so much suffering well well a lot of the times it's because we're exhausted physically we're like just not sleeping enough And, and literally that that alone can make a difference who hasn't had that experience it's the end of the day you're drained out physically everything starts to feel hard you've lost your keys you don't even know where your keys are anymore you get an, an email from somebody who's complaining about something and that just irritates you completely and you feel so frustrated about how to handle that situation. Your, your, child, your daughter asks you to help you braid her hair and even that you resent because, not because you don't love your child, but because you don't have anything left to give. And, and then, then you have a, a warm shower, a hot meal, a good night's sleep, and suddenly you, you're completely different. You find the keys right where you left them. You read the email differently. You're like, oh, I know what that, I know what they mean. Okay, I know how to handle that gracefully now. You, you, you're happy to help your child because you are restored. And so, so that idea of just resting is a counterintuitive example. People don't think about that being a 10X strategy, but really it is. So you, you just create enough space. Um, I can give some other specific ideas have a done for the day list so that instead of doing, instead of trying, instead of setting yourself up for an impossible fail every day, uh, which is, you know, I've just got to complete everything on my to-do list. You know, like seriously, I do everything on your to-do list, uh, like the to-do list gets longer by the end of the day than it is at the beginning. So how are you ever gonna get to the end of it? You're never gonna do that. So don't have that be the game you're playing. Uh, Instead, you actually make a list. When I'm done with these important things, I find, you know, like five or six things is the max on the the done for the day list. Maybe three things personally, three things professionally, and they all need to matter. These are important things to do. When I'm done with those, I can be done, you know, guilt-free. Go, yeah, I'm satisfied. And then after that, no sneaky work, you know, there's no there's no like we we you know we have a hot tub and there's no you can't sit in the hot tub doing email right like you've got to be done and actually rest um related to that i like to have a done for the time like done time for of the like a, a time you're done today uh, so i was inspired by another entrepreneur who chose 5 30 and uh, and so i was like okay five o'clock in my house i have children at home if i leave if i work later than five dinner's a disaster or I mean, it's not a disaster necessarily but it's just more strained you know you get out there everyone's hungry now everyone's tired I'm more tired so everything is worse uh, but if I if I do a five and I was like a uh, like a town crier I'd go out there it's five o'clock or whatever the time was right it's five oh two so it would keep me honest having an excuse to be done for the day rather than just five, six, seven, 10, 11, 12, and it just keeps going. And then you, especially in COVID times, it's like, you don't even know what day it is. And, and, and it's just Zoom, eat, sleep, repeat life. You look at your Fitbit at the end of the day and it's 300 steps. It's like, this is not the way, you don't want to have, you have to create these boundaries, otherwise there won't be any. So those are some of the first things you can do just to get back into the effortless state. In the effortless state, you're much better able to even figure out effortless action. You're not so reactive, you start to pause and think about what to do. You can ask some very obvious questions. What does done look like? When you start a project, what does done look like? Instead of endlessly adding features, functionality, mission creep, you just you can work forever. It's another unwinnable game, an unwinnable project. Uh, because you don't know what done looks like and that makes you not even want to start it so you procrastinate longer because you haven't figured out what does done look like so so that's one question you can ask for uh, for for effortless action another i love is the idea of micro bursts right setting a timer you do 10 minutes on something essential so it's on your important list for the day but you just 10 minutes at the end of the 10 minutes you're done you're not going to work any longer on it so it's just 10 minutes focused effort on that thing, how much can I get done? And it's surprising how much you can get done in 10 minutes of focused effort on something. Go take a little break afterwards, don't feel guilty about it. Next microburst, what's the next thing you can do in 10 minutes? Uh, you can do a lot of progress with that. Um, and uh, yeah, maybe, maybe one other thing I think people can do, immediate thing you can do is ask, is invert the question, is ask the question, uh, what what might what would an what would this? I know I'm struggling to find exactly the right words. I've asked it so many different ways, but like what's an effortless way to get the result I want? Just, just even asking that question. Maybe there isn't one. I mean, of course it's possible there isn't an effortless solution. But if you don't ask the question, I promise you you will not find an effortless solution. If the question embedded in the back of your brain is, how can I work harder to get this result? Your brain will find answers to that question. And it will even provide you with answers even when that isn't the right solution. It'll just keep going, well, maybe you could add this thing. Maybe you could do this special edition. Go a second mile, a third mile, add complexity, over engineer. But if you ask a different question, you're gonna get a different answer. I was coaching a, a manager at a university. She's the kind of person who's up till four in the morning photoshopping for a church thing the next day for the youth that no one's asking her to do that. She just thinks more is better. More effort is, is better, more righteous, more, you know. Uh, she, she felt guilty if she even ate lunch. You think of the cost of even those two examples. Um, I said, okay, ask this better question how can it be effortless? Just ask it. The next day she gets a call from a professor, said, look, I'd like to come and record my semester, uh, my class for the semester. She's responsible for a videography team among other responsibilities. She's ready to jump into gear. You know, like, yes, we'll, we'll get a whole team there. They'll all edit this together. Uh, We'll get music graphics, intros, outros, will wow him. That became the focus, will wow him. And she remembers, even in the middle of this call, she remembers, hold on, ask this other question. Invert the question. Is there an effortless way to get the result he actually wants? So she asks a few more questions, and it turns out this is for one student who's going to miss a few classes because he has an athletic commitment. So the solution they come up with together is piercingly simple. Someone else is just going to, on their phone, record any session that the student misses and text it to him or email it to him. That's it. The professor's delighted. He hadn't thought of it. She hangs up. She's like, that was 10 minutes versus four months for a whole team. The return on effort is unbelievable. What would you call that? That's got to be 10x, 100x, maybe more. The question doesn't always, always work, but it will never work unless you ask it so that's one more thing people can do immediately right now as a coaching intervention to just start exploring these possibilities greg what's the first obvious action you talk about that in your book yeah i love that the first, first you know this is there's an entrepreneurial story that, that to to put this in perspective this is um the founders of netflix um were trying to work out whether it even like They had a vision for streaming video content as it is today, but this is 10 plus years ago. In fact, I remember going to an early uh, presentation uh, with one of the founders where he was talking about this. Uh, And so they knew that they didn't have the technology to support the vision yet. It would take time. And so they said, well, where do we begin? Do we just wait for 10 years? Do we try and raise a hundred million dollars or more? to try and start investing in the infrastructure. you know That would be the effort, the, the exhausting strategy uh, and probably wouldn't have worked anyway. And so finally they said, well, what if we just began now? We just did DVD delivery. And they said, well, we don't even know if that would work. So what's the very first thing we can actually do? Not the thousandth step or the 10,000th, but the very first one. And, uh, and they, they said, well, we just need to like, go get a CD right now and they went, bought it from a secondhand store together and they go to the post office and they just mail it to themselves. And the next morning uh, they wanna see whether it's got there in one piece. You know, Did it break, is it okay? And it was completely fine. And they're like, well, maybe we have an idea. Maybe it works. Maybe we can just start our idea now, get the DVD exchange going, and then eventually we'll be able to build into it this uh, this streaming platform. That's exactly what they've done. But the difference between trying to go heavy and well, to to worry about the thousandth step and not take the first step is a fool's bargain. Take the first step, the minimum viable action, not just minimum viable product, the minimum viable action, especially a microburst. Like what can we do in a 10 minutes or a tiny amount
1: of effort to just learn the maximum amount and, and start making progress? Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, it reminds me of a bias for action and, and how often in our companies do we get bogged down in analysis paralysis while our competitors are just busy getting stuff done. And I mean, I know that that stuff has to be directionally correct. If we're just out there getting a bunch of stuff done, it might take us in a direction that we never intended. But that's uh, that's super advice. Uh, Greg, un- under effortless results, the other thing that really uh, spoke to me was this notion of one-time decisions eliminating future ones. I wonder if you could elaborate a little bit on, on what that means. Yeah, I mean,
0: y- y- you don't, I mean, one-time decisions, uh, there's a lot of ways to, uh, to apply this. I mean, one is, one is just the idea of automation, that if you can build something right once, one-time decision that then works in your favor forever. Now, I mean, look at this in a negative way. In my own life, uh, I I signed up when I bought new phones for my family at Christmas. I signed up for their insurance package. You know, if any of the screens are cracked, then you know, then you can replace them at quite a low price. And 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 uh, you know, so so they cracked their screen almost immediately, and and we could have taken advantage of that. It's been months since then. So I'm paying for this every month. And every time I remember it, it's an it's a irritation because it's on repeat. And so I'm now for sure have paid more than if I just not got the insurance and just just paid for the cracked phone. So, but that mis- that's a problem for me but it can be utilized to your great advantage. If you can automate things that are essential to you that are important to you, set it up one time And then you're stacking the decks in your favor every day afterwards. So I was coaching somebody within the last couple of months about this. And I said, I said, what's something essential to you that you're under investing in? And he said, well, eating healthy, particularly for lunch. I said, what normally happens? He said, well, I don't want to eat unhealthily, but I get hungrier and hungrier, 12, one, two, then two thirds, maybe even three. And by that point, I'm really hungry and I'm tired, so I just go and get fast food. Um, I said, how long has the problem been going on? He's like, well, at least 10 years, <laughs> you know, maybe longer. I said, okay, we're going to do a microburst on it right now, 10 minutes. What, what's the first thing you can do to set up an automated solution to the problem? He said, "He said, I know exactly what I could do. His foot immediately came to me. He said, he said I just... Need to get the app, you know, go on one of these apps, download one of these, these food delivery apps, and I will have just lunch, healthy lunch, sent to me every day at noon. And, and you know, now that's not a solution for everyone. It's, there's a cost associated to it, but it, it's a work expense for him, and and he's just uh, he's happy to do it. So uh, so I said, okay, ten minutes. What can you accomplish in ten minutes on this goal? And is this slightly awkward pause and he says yeah everything I can do it all I can find the app I can download it I can upload my information and set it automated 10 years of a problem 10 minutes to solve it that's what he did now he's now now it's resolved so you know that's that's an example I think of, of what we're talking about in practice
1: yeah it, you remind me of, of another thought that I had gregan and it was the socioeconomic implications of living an effortless life. I mean, if, if you're a single parent with three children at home, if you're living in poverty, if you have a job that requires you to be at the facility all of the time and you don't have the flexibility to work from home or work from a coffee shop in the mountains, how does somebody that might be a little bit more down on their luck or in a, harder, a harsher condition... Start to take some small steps towards effortless.
0: Well, I think what's a reasonable thing to put into context here is that I didn't write a book because I think life is easy. I mean, there's no point in writing a book about effortless if life is already easy, if life is even close to being effortless. Um, l- the last 10 or 20 years of my life have taught me exactly the opposite, which is that for almost everybody, life is hard, really hard, and in a hundred ways, that life actually does approximate suffering for most people most of the time. And even if they don't put that image out to the world, or even if you don't know that about them, that actually is still true. And so the whole premise of effortless is for, is for the, someone in the situation you're describing. It, it's, it's not meant to be seen as someone for, who's you know in an elite position. Um, it's, it's for someone whose life feels crushingly difficult. Um, let, let, me, let me use an example of somebody that I personally worked with uh, who was doing? She was, she was so fin- financially strapped. She's living in California. She's in LA. Um, she's she's come over as a you know from from South Africa, uh, and she's really living uh, with her son in somebody else's house. It's not an ideal circumstance for any of them. And they just cannot get ahead. And they've been doing this for years and they've been trying. And she's like constantly, she's like surviving. And that's the best you can say about it is that she is successfully surviving, but she cannot get ahead. And eventually what worked were all sorts of things that were done to try to help for years. And I was involved in some of that. But what really helped was when somebody got involved and they they said, you know what? you just need to not be here. Like you're pushing up a boulder up a hill, but the costs are so high that you're having to live in somebody else's front room. Basically, your son's living on somebody else's couch in this tiny, uh, you know, tiny place. And you, you, just, you just can't get ahead, even if you're working, even if you have a job, even if you're entrepreneurial. And so they literally help them to move to a new state. So there was an intervention involved, a state, actually they moved to Utah, uh, which, it, which has the highest rate in the United States. I learned this in the book called, um, uh, "In um, oh, what is the name of that book? Um, I'll come back to it in a second. But, but what, I, what I found was that, that they have about a 10% rate of people going from the lowest socioeconomic group to the highest. They're better at this than any other state in the United States. And it's because they have these built-in community systems and church systems. And so it means that, in fact, I've worked with people there now who they have a relationship with Los Angeles asking them to send homeless, homeless people uh, to, to because they have systems that make it much easier to help someone in this condition. And so that's one of the things that happened uh, is, that, is that we were successfully able to have her living in a different place. Uh, where she was no longer pushing the boulder up the hill. I just heard from her just very recently. She's thriving. She's doing so well. She's working. Her son is working. They live in a lovely little apartment. Um, and, And it's just like everything's working now. So she's not putting in more effort to get better results. She changed the game. She changed the environment. She had some help to do that. Nothing wrong with that. But now because she's playing a better game, she's winning more of those games. And, and there's many examples of that outside of the socioeconomic challenges, uh, but just general entrepreneurial challenges where it's like, if, you're, if what you're doing isn't working, maybe like Shark Tank type language, it's like maybe, maybe you shoot that idea and you, you know, and you go on with something else that is working instead of forcing something. Uh, that that's a general principle I think is good for everybody. My wife taught it to me. It's don't force anything.
1: Yeah. When you no, are, good, move on. Yeah. It's a good, uh, it's a good story, Greg. And it, and it also reminds me that, I mean, leadership, I think largely used to be about oversight management and productivity. Leadership is not that anymore. And it, and if it is for you, it shouldn't be. It, it's really about looking after your people in a way that uh, might not come naturally to some of you, but uh, those are in a, that are in a better position, it's our responsibility to look after those who are not. Uh, you know, a lot of discussion lately about the impacts of COVID as well, Greg, and I know we're getting close to the, the end of our time here, but I think it's a fair assessment to say that most of us cannot get as much done as we used to, that we, we reach our capacity sh- earlier in the day, we can't take on as many projects, in addition to some of the things that you've already mentioned in today's conversation, do you have any other little tips or tricks or advice for people as they try to recalibrate sort of their new normal of what they can do and can't do?
0: Yes, I think that the, the rule, and I, I think it's a, actually it's a very simple rule, but it will, test, it will test every person listening and watching this. And it's this, don't do more today then you can recover from today that's it it's it's a rule it's, it's such a good rule but it's it's almost a rule you don't want to hear because it's it's a bit painful because what we want to do today is much more than we can fit in and me giving that rule doesn't change that desire to do more accomplish more get to the next level but but the the reason is so important because as soon as you are using up more today than you can recover from today, especially if that becomes a lifestyle, it is predictable that eventually and over time you will be burning out. And one of the the risks of burnout is that you often don't even know you are burning out. Um, Burnout has the tendency, has the, the physiological state, it changes our psychological state in a, like it makes us foggy. We've all had that foggy brain. Burnout makes us like, it's like we have foggy brain perpetually. We don't see things clearly. And that includes our assessment of ourselves. We don't see ourselves clearly. So people who are burned out often are the last ones to know about it. So then you continue down a damaging journey and, and, and it lots, the costs become very high in this case. So one simple rule you're going to start it immediately. Don't do more today than you can recover from today, or at least don't do more this week than you can recover from this week.
1: Yeah. Good, really good advice. And we have to support each other in that endeavor. Uh, your colleagues, your teams, uh, the people that you, uh, you work closest with your family, your friends uh, as well. Greg, this has been a wonderful conversation and this takes us to our closing piece now, which uh, is everybody's favorite portion is the three in 30. So what are three things that people could do in the next 30 days to live a more effortless life? Now, you did mention one of them. So we got a head start. I I yeah, did. we did get a head start. There you go. You're making it effortless on yourself. You sort of uh, uh, when fed, you fed, fed two it. birds with one scone, as they say these days. Yes. So number one, don't do more today than you can recover from today. Number two
0: is take a nap. That's like me saying that is like the hardest thing for overachievers to do. Uh, If I said run a marathon, some of you would know how to do that better than to just take a nap. But, you know, I don't always get enough sleep at night. I wish I did. I'm improving that. But I'm a master napper. It's like I've learned from experience. It doubles your productivity. Uh, And three is a surprising one. Uh, It it relates to having the effortless state. And it's to fire a grudge. Uh, you, You know, you don't think about that as a productivity hack. Uh, But what else can you call it if you can remove something that is taking your mental and emotional energy away? uh, uh, But but, uh, you know, for years and years.
1: So, fire a grudge. Great advice, Greg. Uh, uh, So many uh, uh, wonderful pieces of advice today. It's been a real pleasure and an honor, as a matter of fact, to talk to you today, Greg. I'm, I'm a big fan of yours, and. Uh, I don't have time to say all of the ways, but since I I read your first book a a few years ago, and then uh, your most recent one, Effortless, there are many, many things that I have incorporated into my life. And and I think that what you have done most for me, if I was to summarize it, is you felt like I don't have to feel guilty for taking care of myself. And that's a huge one. So thank you so much. Your your work uh, is absolutely incredible. Any closing comments, Greg? How can people find you? What do you want people to do next?
0: Oh, I, you know, I mean, right now there actually is a, a, a challenge that's a three-day challenge people can take for free if they go, I think, just to essentialism.org. They can take a three-day uh, challenge, watch videos. It's like a 30-minute videos for three days uh, that I think can help reinforce what we've talked about. That's one thing people could do. There's a free resource, One Minute Wednesday. Uh, every, we try to make it the the, the most valuable minute people spend online in a week, so it's just a very micro, intense, but but hopefully useful reminder of these things we're talking about, um, and uh, and and then of course there's the What's Essential podcast, which uh, has been a real pleasure to start putting together and uh, seems seems to be going well. So those are those are some of the resources that are available for free. So
1: well, thank you everybody for joining us today. What a great way to get season four kicked off! And until then, leaders. Let's normalize, effortless. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you like what you saw, don't forget to share episode links with your friends and colleagues. And if you're ready to take the next step and you're part of a leadership team that you just know has untapped potential, don't wait another moment. Go to UnleashResults.com and subscribe to our newsletter. We'll take care of the rest.